Well, hello everybody, and a very warm welcome to Aerospace, the all-new aviation podcast series brought to you by Aero Explorer. My name is Ajaz Kedanush, and it's a pleasure to be your host for this week's episode. Enjoy. Hello everyone, my name is Tejas Bhatia and I will be leading today's discussion. I would first like to introduce our panel. Our first panelist is Adam Shupak and Adam is a writer and member of the Air Explorer staff team. He is training to become a glider pilot and is based in the United States. Our second panelist is Ben Kogan. Ben is the Director of Public Relations at Air Explorer, and he's been interested in aviation since 2019. So once again, welcome to our viewers, and thank you to our panelists for coming to this, to this discussion. The topic that we'll be discussing today is the Ukraine and Russia conflict and its implications on the aviation industry and on passengers. So for some context, uh, the Russian Federation invaded Ukraine back in February, and since then we have seen a significant rise in jet fuel prices and in the global oil pricing market. Additionally, we have seen that some airlines have chosen to avoid Russian airspace, particularly Western airlines and airlines that are not allied with Russia. And uh, as a result, we have seen many airlines canceling routes. So our main two topics for today's discussion will be the rising jet fuel prices and its implications on airlines and passengers. And our second topic will be route cancellations and airline routes in general as a result of this Ukraine and Russia conflict. So how do you guys think that the rising jet fuel prices will affect the global aviation market and airline ticket pricing? Uh, so yeah, we've seen profitability of airlines has definitely gone down. And we've seen because of that, a dramatic rise in ticket prices all across the world. And recent years, we've seen hundreds of dollars of increase, which also caused a slight decrease in travel due to these high prices. And airlines are still trying to slowly rebuild, even from the COVID-19 pandemic, um, they've been trying to rebuild and these rising prices have not helped them in that way. Yeah, I do agree with you on that fact, Ben, but also just generally, even though the price of jet fuel is pretty much skyrocketed since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, because most of the world gets some components of jet fuel, which is actually a mixture of different types of fossil fuels uh, from Russia. I don't believe that what's going on right now is going to affect passenger numbers, despite the pretty much drastic rise in ticket prices. I mean, a ticket from New York to London used to be around 350 bucks, and now if you look, it's pretty much around five, 600, which is what it would be to more a um, second-tier European destination, such as Vienna, as an example. But um, the rise in ticket prices, I don't really think it's affecting airline travel, because uh, even last month, I flew transatlantic and typically those tickets are really expensive but my flight was fully booked despite the fact that, that that ticket was pretty much costed a lot of money so while it's bad for airlines and profitability i do think that because they're recovering from the pandemic and a lot of people are flying now uh the industry is still going to keep growing uh in some way or another 
So both of you guys make great points. And adding on to what you just said, Adam, it is very true that passenger numbers are steadily increasing, especially after the COVID-19 pandemic, when especially in 2020 and early 2021, we saw passenger numbers decline so significantly. But recently, the TSA uh, noticed that passenger numbers really skyrocketed in the summer of 2022. So as you said, Adam, passenger numbers are skyrocketing. However, it is also important to notice that North America in general as a region has seen fuel costs and aviation fuel costs up more than 100% because of this war between Russia and Ukraine. So my question to you guys is, how do you think airlines, particularly North American airlines and the larger North American airlines, such as Delta American United Air Canada and WestJet, will get used and try to work with their passengers to decrease aviation uh, ticket pricing. So what I think that airlines like United or Western Air Canada are going to do is, even though it might seem counterintuitive, on routes where there's a lot of demand, where typically you'd see uh, 737-800s, such as New York to Las Vegas or New York to San Francisco, which you typically see more narrow-body aircraft, like the 757-200 or the um, 737-900s, etc., etc., uh, I feel like on those routes where you have a lot of demand, in order to save money on jet fuel, you're going to use higher-capacity aircraft, so the wide-body, such as 777s, 787s, um, etc., in order to offset the fuel costs. That way, normally, say, like a 777 can hold, I don't know, 250, 300 people, and those same 250, 300 people, um, United would have to pay for uh, jet fuel for four or five 737s to hold that same amount of people. You know, they could just put everybody in one 777 uh, at one flight um, every single day, and in that way they could save money because they only have to fuel one 777, even though it uses more fuel per passenger. Uh, overall, it's going to be a lower fuel cost uh, due to that. Yeah, and um, basically, like, the airlines decreasing the amount of aircraft they use not only will be more efficient to transfer passengers, but they don't have to take as much, for example, let's say gate space at the airport. Let's say if instead of using five aircraft, five separate gates, they can use one aircraft. It's much more efficient and easier for the crew as well as pilots with the pilot numbers currently. Yeah, and another thing that I just want to add on is that uh, what I think is due to the pretty much 100% rise in fuel prices that's going on here in the United States, I feel like that some of the smaller routes operated by, you know, those subsidiary airlines, uh, such as Mesa, Republic Airways, the smaller regional airlines, I feel like we're going to see some of those routes disappear. And while this has been happening for quite a long time, uh, due to just the viability of having a route from you know a really big hub to a super small town um well you've had those routes disappearing for years due to them not being economically viable the rise in jet fuel prices is just going to accelerate this so you're going to have a lot less route saturation in the industry so you're going to pretty much have like a hub like washington and while normally uh you have the three airports in washington and then you have all the airlines flying uh, such as american to say lexington kentucky uh, or Champaign, Illinois, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to see those routes, small airports, pretty much end up disappearing because of the rise in jet fuel prices. It just won't make economic sense to fill a 30-seater jet to fly 600 miles on each person paying a $200 ticket. 
So that last part that you just said about airlines cutting more short haul, extremely short haul routes, Adam, was really, really interesting because we I recently found an article written by McKinsey that stated the exact same thing about higher jet fuel prices do not necessarily lead to lower profit pro- profitability for airlines as long as these airlines operate more higher capacity and higher density routes. So as both of you have been mentioning. So my next question is that Russia is one of the largest suppliers of jet fuel in the world. And currently, according to recent statistics, it supplied, it was the fourth largest supplier of jet fuel in the world. How do you guys think that European airlines will be reacting to this differently than North American airlines because of the rise in jet fuel prices? Because of course there is a regional uh, divide since European airlines in general, Europe is more reliant on Russian oil and gas than North America. Uh, and so my question to you guys, once again, is what do you guys think will um, European airlines, what will there be take, particularly Air France, KLM, and British Airways, and Lufthansa? So for European airlines, um, while they have been really reliant on Russia in the past, I mean, pretty much the entirety of Eastern Europe going towards Berlin has been reliant on Russian gas and oil since the 1940s and 50s when the um, Iron Curtain came up. Now what I feel is going to happen is that's really going to accelerate the essentially development of electronic uh, aircraft powered by batteries, hydrogen powered aircraft, and just the use of sustainable aviation fuel, especially for those large airlines like British Airways, KLM, and Air France. Um, it, I don't at this point. I don't really think that affects them. The fuel prices, and I mean, well, it obviously does. It's not going to affect them as much as these smaller carriers. So, I mean, you can take a look at the uh, budget airlines, such as Smartwings. I mean, Smartwings. It's a Czech-based airline. Uh, Czech Republic's heavy reliant on Russian gas, and that's the problem. Is that you have those budget airlines, especially in Eastern Europe, that are pretty much rely on razor-thin profit margins. Uh, you're going to see those profit margins shrink even further and maybe even see those airlines go into debt because of cost at this point of sustainable aviation fuel is higher, substantially higher than that of uh, normal jet A1 fuel, which is pretty much a mix of kerosene and oil. So I feel that you're going to see a lot of budget airlines, the smaller ones, disappear from the European spectrum, so or not spectrum. Let me rephrase that. I don't think the larger airlines in Europe as a whole are going to be affected. So what I'm talking about is the legacy carriers. So Iberia, TAP, Air Portugal, British Airways, Air France, KLM, whatever. Those larger airlines, they aren't going to be as affected by the um, lack of jet fuel and gas and oil coming from Russia, mostly due to the fact that they have... Um, a lot more money at their disposal to use uh, towards developing uh, renewable sources of energy for these aircraft, such as hydrogen or uh, electric-powered aircraft. Meanwhile, um, those smaller airlines, so you have just some really small airlines, budget airlines. Um, in Europe, you have Smartwings, which is a Czech low-cost airline. Smartwings, they pretty much have razor-thin profit margins. They sell tickets. Um at a really, really cheap price, and then um, they will hope that they can make money off of it. And then now, uh, countries like Czech Republic, which are very reliant on Russian gas and oil, uh, essentially Russia just cut it off. And now you have those airlines that are going to have to buy a sustainable aviation fuel, which is generally a lot more expensive. Even considering the rise in jet fuel, 
right now, sustainable aviation fuel is still more expensive than conventional jet fuel, especially in a place like Europe, because while you have to transport the ingredients for um, SAF, sustainable aviation fuel, um, a lot less of a distance in Europe, the cost of producing it is more because most of the industry in Europe ends up relying on that Russian gas and oil for the power and energy to produce that sustainable aviation fuel. I do agree with Adam. Um, and also building off with the larger airlines like British Airways, uh, KOM, they have a lot more revenue due to just their bigger brand than um, the smaller ones. So with that revenue, they also have more money to spend on fuel. And if they decide to, as some many airlines are trying to um, go for the sustainable aviation fuel, they do have the possibility of potentially going for that. Um, but with the smaller airlines, they don't necessarily have enough uh, money and income. So yeah, like Adam said, we might start to see um, some maybe regional carriers disappear with the major ones growing. Today's podcast is brought to you by Air Explorer, the world's largest youth-led aviation platform. Indulge in aerospace news and analysis posted multiple times daily from airexplorer.com. That's airexplorer.com without the E in Explorer. If you enjoy photographing your favorite metal beasts, you can both share and view the hundreds of photos uploaded daily from their photos page. They are also actively recruiting, so if you are an aviation enthusiast looking to give back to the community, you can review the available positions and submit your application at airexplorer.com slash apply. That's airexplorer.com slash apply. Be sure to follow them on social media to stay updated on the latest news at Air Explorer. Now, back to the podcast. So I also agree with what both of you said for the most part particularly about the smaller regional airlines within Europe having a more economic adverse time persisting through this economic crisis that's a result of this intensified conflict between Ukraine and Russia. However, I still think that larger airlines like British Airways and Air France will be affected by this crisis, although it will not be as much. So I recently read an analysis from the website Zero Carbon Analytics, which basically analyzed uh, how much European airlines spend on Russian oil. And the largest spender on Russian oil was IAG, or the International Airlines Group. And for context, um, I, the IAG is the owner of airlines like British Airways, Iberia, and Aer Lingus. And IAG spent an estimated 13.4 million euros on Russian-sourced kerosene in 2021. So we will still see some of these European larger airlines uh, be affected by this conflict. Although since they do have higher capacity aircraft, like Adam mentioned before, they won't be affected as much because they have other ways of uh, balancing out their economic crisis. So our second topic will discuss the new routing airlines have been taking as a result of the Ukraine and Russia conflict. For context, Many airlines have been forced to alter their routes and to not overfly Russian airspace because of this conflict as a result of their countries not being um, particularly allied with Russia throughout this conflict. So my first question is for you, Adam. What do you think airlines in the United States, particularly United, 
and uh, American Airlines, who are huge players in the U.S. to Asia and uh, Middle East market, how do you think they will be reacting? How do you think they have reacted um, to this Ukraine and Russia conflict? Have they reacted positively? Should they have shut down some of the routes that they shut down, most namely um, Delhi to San Francisco on United and Seattle to Bangalore on American Airlines, which was supposed to start, but it did not. So what is your thought on this, Adam? So in terms of the reaction of all the different American carriers and their Asian routes, um, I don't think that this was this was obviously a big deal for them. But we have seen this in the past before. I mean, you've had airlines like Finnair in the past that had to essentially fly around Soviet airspace in the 1980s and stop in Anchorage before heading over to Tokyo, as an example. And then you've had American Airlines, United, Delta, you've had them avoiding Russian airspace up until the late 1990s, which is when Russia essentially began allowing these airlines to fly over their territory in exchange for overflight fees, which, by the way, is why tickets to Asia are so expensive. Um, it's because these airlines have to pay now for longer routings that avoid Russian airspace. And even when they did fly over Russian airspace, they'd have to uh, price the tickets higher due to the fact that they had to pay the Russian government a certain price of every ticket. And yeah, that pretty much affects the Russian economy. It affects our economy by obviously higher ticket prices. Yeah, so basing off of what Adam said too, we have seen also several airlines like Cathay Pacific recently deem it safe again to fly through Russian skies. So they have made the decision to resume flying through Russian air airspace, which significantly shortens the uh, flight time. The only downside to that is that there are uh, large ATC fees in Russia, which might affect the airline a little bit. Um, we Maybe we'll see a um, rise in ticket prices or something kind of to balance that off. But yes, recently we've seen several airlines start to resume flying through Russian airspace, even though many are still trying to avoid it just for safety. Yeah, building on what Ben said, a lot of the airlines are trying to avoid it for safety, but not only that, but the Russian government actually bans some of the airlines. Like United, as of this point, is banned from Russian airspace. Most American airlines are, and that's obviously because of politics, but we're not going to get into that. This is an aviation podcast, but essentially those airlines are just not allowed to fly over Russia, and it also really affects their ultra-long-haul routes. Uh, now, this is an Asian airline, Singapore Airlines. It's not an American airline, but this is probably one of the best examples of the Russia-Ukraine war affecting aviation. You have uh, Singapore Airlines, the longest route in the world from Newark to Singapore. Originally, what they would do is they'd fly over the North Pole uh, and then come down through Russian airspace, uh, fly, fly over Mongolia, fly over China, uh, Vietnam, and then they'd land in Singapore. Uh, but now you have that exact same route, except instead of it being 16 to 17 hours long, now it's 18 to 19 hours long, and they can only afford to have, on average, a 50 to 60% load factor on board because they have to add a lot more fuel on board in order to avoid Russian airspace. Yeah, and I've also seen that there was a notice uh, released by the Russian government or airports that say that even though some airlines may be able to fly through Russian airspace, they will not be allowed to divert to any Russian airports um, in case of any emergency. So that is 
one downside if that rare occurrence does happen. So both of you make very valid points, and particularly to what you said, Adam, about airlines being forced to take such weird measures. Um, one of the very interesting things is that the rise in um, the intensification of the conflict between Ukraine and Russia and the growing trend of airlines that suspended flying over Russia or over Russian airspace resulted in the demand for aircraft like the Boeing 787-9 and the Airbus A350-900 or the Dash 1000 growing in popularity. And now pretty much a lot of airlines want the A350 or the 787-9 to operate their services because of how range capable and range efficient these aircraft are. So this leads me to my next question for you both. Do you think that as a result of this conflict, airlines that have said that they don't necessarily want to utilize the A350, um, like American Airlines, do you think that will be one of their solutions in the long term? And if not, what do you think are some other temporary solutions to this issue? I feel like airlines like American or airlines that are just generally have Boeing heavy fleets, I don't think that they're going to turn to the AT50 in the long term. I mean, in terms of fuel efficiency, the Boeing 787 and the Airbus A350, they're very, very, very similar in terms of their fuel efficiency per seat per mile. So I feel like airlines are just going to uh, stay with their prospective company, so Boeing or Airbus. But I do think that um, the fact that airlines now have to route around Russia, I feel like this is going to maybe give American uh, airlines essentially the confidence to push Boeing uh, to essentially say, hey, we want you to build a longer range version of the 787. Now, we do, which is the 787-8, but most airlines haven't really ordered it. It's not a very widespread aircraft. The 787-9 and 787-10s are the more widespread, but I feel like that most American airlines that have to fly around Russian airspace are probably going to push Boeing to at least modify their current models of 77s in order for them to fly longer. But in terms of Airbus, um, I feel like the Airbus A350-900 ULR, um, I feel like that is going to become an, a lot more popular aircraft for airlines such as Air New Zealand. I mean, Qantas ordered the A350-900 ULR in order to fly them between uh, Sydney and uh, New York and Chicago, etc. So I do feel like a lot of these airlines are going to be pushing these aircraft companies to build super, super long-range aircraft, even if they have to be low capacity. Yeah, and with this, um, with these, with the need for these longer capacity aircraft, it'll also kind of force the airlines to think maybe a little creatively. Um, kind of like you said, Adam. Um, but maybe either in the future we'll see orders for aircraft, uh, orders from airlines. For aircraft, maybe like the A350. Um, although right now it might not seem like a possibility in the next few years, um, if this continues to be an issue, um, the airlines might see a need for it. Um, but in general, it'll force airlines to get maybe a, a kind of a little more creative with how they want to take on these modified uh, routes. And what I think is maybe in the future if you have like an airline such as a budget airline as an example 
long-haul budget airlines. This is kind of like a growing thing nowadays. We've had that with Norwegian. Norwegian actually couldn't overfly Russia. So pretty much the furthest they can go with their 787s uh, was Delhi, but they never really went there. Um, but elaborating on that, we're going to see, I feel, in the next few years, we're going to see a lot more Fifth Freedom flights. As in, as an example, so you have American Airlines. We might see American Airlines creating a sort of mini hub in Dubai just to stop for 30 minutes and refuel on a flight going to, say, Tokyo. The opposite way around, as opposed to routing uh, from Chicago to Tokyo, which has to avoid Russian airspace. So both of you, again, made some very valid points. And I completely agree. I think Fifth Freedom flights will grow in popularity. But my next question for you guys uh, requires even more context. So because of the COVID-19 pandemic, many countries in Eastern Asia and South Asia um, placed strict travel restrictions. And as a result, um, the popularity for nonstop flights to these countries increased, even though there were many quarantine restrictions in place. Um, but airlines such as United and American and even in Europe, so Air France KLM um, and uh, British Airways have had to place their plans uh, for Southern and Eastern exp Asian expansion on hold because of this conflict. So if this conflict continues, when and how where will airlines expand in South and East Asia? So elaborating on what you said, in terms of what are they planning in the long term, there was recently a report that came out by Eurocontrol, which essentially stated that no major European airlines, so Lufthansa, British Airways, Air France, KLM, KB Portugal, Iberia, etc., no major European airlines are planning on overflying Russian airspace before 2028. So what I think is going to happen is we need to look to the past to maybe get some context to see what might happen in the future. So in the 1940s and 50s, you had airlines like British Airways uh, making multiple stopovers in order to connect um, their hubs in Europe. Uh, multiple airlines did this. British Airways is the most uh, widespread airline that did this. Uh, when Russian airspace was closed, they would fly, as an example, London to Bahrain to Mumbai to Bangkok and then to Tokyo, as an example. But maybe what we're going to see from these airlines is Fifth Freedom flights, like with the American Airlines. Um, so you can see like British Airways, Air France, KLM, creating sort of mini hubs in smaller, less expensive cities uh, that have long, long enough runways for these large aircraft with high capacity. So I feel like we're going to see high capacity aircraft stopping in these really small cities with large runways just to refuel for like a half hour and then continue on to their Asian destination. And I also do think that we could see uh, Anchorage, Alaska resurging uh, as a stopover point because during the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, uh, Anchorage as a city actually grew around the airport because you had all these European airlines, such as SAS, Finnair, British Airways, KLM, that would essentially fly the polar route and then they'd stop in Anchorage and then head on to Asian cities. So... This brings me to my last question of this discussion. So recently, because of the Ukraine and Russia conflict, we have seen more and more Russian aircraft, of course, being re-registered in other parts of the globe. So my question is, how do you think that um, countries or how do you think that airlines within Russia, uh, particularly Aeroflot, 
will um, be able to continue operating if they're not able to receive aircraft because they have to get their aircraft re-registered in other countries. And some of these countries that they get their aircraft registered in um, are now against Russia in this war. So first of all, the Russian government has always owned a stake in Aeroflot. So what I think is if the airline needs to get parts, what they might do is they might source them via Russian allies. So you have Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, they might be able to get those parts via um, certain partner airlines because obviously Aeroflot still has partner airlines, but just not here in the West or not in Asia. Um, so you have you could probably get those Russian airlines to buy essentially parts that come from a third vendor. It's kind of like when you buy an iPhone, but if you want to buy a used one, you have to go to a uh, essentially refurbished store. That's essentially what I can envision Russian Airlines doing in order to get those parts. So like recently, a Ural Airlines A320, uh, it's brake locked on landing, uh, it's front forward landing gear brake locked on landing uh, in a small Russian city, and it's pretty much going to be scrapped, the aircraft now, because of the fact that they just can't get parts for it. So what I maybe think is they might start to produce those parts in Russia, but with substituting materials into those parts due to the current sanctions. And continuing on about the registrations, there was actually a really interesting thing that was going on. How when Russia re-registered their aircraft, Bermuda, which is essentially before the Russia-Ukraine conflict, most Russian aircraft were actually Bermuda registered. So Victor Papa, they had VP registrations. And because of this, Bermuda actually, when they saw all these aircraft being taken off the registry and getting put onto the Russian registry, they essentially declared these aircraft stolen by those airlines. So, which means that if this conflict ever does die down, what's going to happen is probably these aircraft are going to be just staying in Russia because essentially there's going to be a lack of parts and these aircraft are going to become a lot more dangerous in the future if this conflict goes on and they can't secure parts. In the past few months, of course, this conflict has continued to escalate and we've seen so many airlines trying to adjust with this. But more particularly, I want to focus on Aeroflot. What do you think is uh, Aeroflot's future in terms of its international goals to expand to other countries and to other destinations? How do you think Aeroflot will adjust? Um, I definitely think that generally they will want to continue to expand, um, but with like Adam was mentioning as well, um, with these lack of parts, we might start to see some aircraft be deemed um, maybe not not airworthy, um, and they will need to wait a little longer for approval. So that might delay Aeroflot's process, but I do feel like they will want to mostly maybe put aside this, in a year or two, kind of put aside this crisis and still try to expand their airline because if it just stays stagnant without any expansions to larger networks they might see a uh, loss in growth so they will definitely i feel want to continue to expand even with this ukraine russia crisis going on at the moment and with that said thank you so much ben and adam for your contributions and i'd like to thank our viewers from across the world for listening to our discussion today stay tuned for more discussions in the future and for now this is where we bid farewell thank you thank you for having me thank you